Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Alright, here we go. So we're in episode 59. Stomp, are you ready to go? Let's do it. Alright, we're going to talk about aging again, so we're, uh, <laughs> we're going to have to face, our, face the reality of getting older. Yes, that's true. This is a great topic tonight. Yeah, it is. I actually had a question for you, and again, I am staying off of social media, I promise, although I do cheat every once in a while, and I, I went on social media this week, and there was somebody ranting on one of the Appalachian Trail um Pages about old people getting up early. So it's the constant fight between, you know, young people will stay up late and make noise, and then to yeah. get revenge, the older people. And I, th- I honestly feel like he's older like, through older people. He's like forty years old or older. But anyway, like the early risers then get up and make noise. I guess they were in a hostel, which is a little bit different than like being at the, in the shelter area. But sure, I feel like we haven't gone backpacking before, but. Are, you're like a late person and then you wake up you stay up late and then wake up late right uh, no, actually at the moment I've been going to bed early and waking up early I, I wake up with the alarm um, of my lovely bride so I'm up actually I'm at the point now where I'm actually waking up naturally to the brightening sky which is super cool I haven't been able to do that for quite some time mm-hmm. it's really nice just naturally waking I'm just trying to figure out, like, if we do go backpacking, if I'm going to annoy the crap out of you by getting up too early. Because <laughs> you're, you're the older guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we'll be getting up at the same time. <laughs> okay. All right. So, separate tents. So, we can, yeah. we can stay quiet. Here we go. All right. Um, <laughs> so, I was just kind of curious about that. So, um, a couple of things I had here before we get into talking with Cindy and Megan. Um, Arlette. Uh, apple pie she is we've been talking about her a little bit i gotta get her on the show i don't want to bother her until she's done though but she mm-hmm. is on the ice age trail so she's doing the i think there's 11 of these national scenic trails she's done 10 of them she just completed like the 10th one so now she's on this ice age trail i think this one's the other one was short but i think this one's pretty long so yeah. she will, when she finishes this, and I'm, you know, unless something crazy happens, I'm assuming she'll finish it. Then she'll complete do. She'll complete having done all of the national scenic trails list, which is pretty amazing. I don't know if she's going to be the first one to do it, or I think so. So where is Ice Age Trail again? Oh God, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know. Well, Let we'll me it Google it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, honestly. Uh, I, uh, I Googled, um, where is the Ice Age Trail? And it says Wisconsin. Yes. Stomp, the Ice Age Trail's in Wisconsin. Didn't you know that? Thank you, Megan. Oh. (laughs) We'll edit uh, Megan out so that she doesn't take the credit. Sorry, Megan. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, but um, so Arlette, we're we're, um, we're rooting for you and we look forward to hopefully getting you on to talk about your, your adventures. Absolutely. Epic. Um, next up here, Stomp, I just wanted to call out, it seems like we are skipping spring and going straight to summer. Um, there's like fires burning all over the place up there. We had this a little farther down the list, but what's going on with these fires? What's, 
What's the deal? I haven't heard the latest, but there was a fire, brush fire that expanded a bit over at Arethusa Falls. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, we're definitely in the red flag uh, warning uh, zone at the moment. And uh, it's been super dry. We did get some rain, you know, the other day, but um, still super dry. Yeah, all the oh, roads are open now, I believe, which is cool. Um, so summer is here early for the moment it is well hold on he's got internet connection so we'll give him a second the good thing is is that he records locally so if he drops out like this we'll, we just splice it together oh that's smart <laughs> yeah hi <laughs> hello again <laughs> don't worry about me just keep on going if i drop yeah so you were talking about the fire yeah well, that's about all I know. I, I saw some pictures on Insta um, from several people, and I do not believe there were any other fires. That was the main one that uh, they had to manage. Yeah, the latest update that I have is, so we're recording this on Wednesday, May 18th. So the latest I heard was that they've got the fire 45% under control. It's mm-hmm. like spl- it's about 100 acres. It's split into like three separate segments, and... Um, they're building basically like fire breaks, um, but it's very difficult because it's super steep area and, you know, they're hoping for a little bit more rain. But it's scary right now because I don't think I've ever – I've been involved in hiking for at least the last 10, 10 years or so, and I don't ever remember, you know, multiple – we had that one that was up by um, – Dilly by Musa, yeah, Musalaki, yeah. whatever. But, um, yeah, Dilly I don't ever remember <clears throat> this volume of fires this early, so it's a little bit scary. And that area in particular, like you could see that getting out of control quickly because it's like a funnel with the air going through Crawford Notch, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unusual. I've never seen activity over in that area before since I've been, you know, paying attention. But, um, yeah, hopefully that's it. Get some yeah, rain and. Well. So you haven't been paying attention to the fires because you've been busy doing um, search and rescue stuff. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's kicking in quite a bit actually. So we've had several that we'll talk about a little later uh, within Franconia Notch and elsewhere throughout the Whites. So the busy season is here, no question about it. Awesome, and then you got a busy week coming up, I hear. Oh God, yes. Well, it's like t- tomorrow night we're going to see ATB, which is this amazing german dj that i rave about from time to time so he's playing at some some new place on the waterfront like the waterfront is getting really fancy in boston and then the next morning we're going to one of my daughter's uh commencement at what i used to call the bank pavilion center but now it's gone i I think it's leader pavilion it changes names constantly so it's right on the water i think the weather's supposed to be fantastic and then um yeah, the qualifying hike Friday and then coming back to Boston again uh, with some friends and hitting the Red Sox on Sunday. <laughs> Talk about a four-day bender. It's like, holy moly, I'm going to be exhausted. Well, what's a qualifying hike? Do you, do you just do something in Franconia? Are you allowed to say? Or? Um, Let's see. Yeah, well, whenever there are new pending members that want to join, we will do a qualifying hike um, just to make sure that they're, um, you know, in shape and prepared and, um, you know, enjoyable to be around because I guess you wouldn't want to be stuck with some folks that are not enjoyable to be around for Mm -hmm. X amount of hours and this and that or, you know, people that wouldn't take 
direction well or safety risks, that type of thing. So we just flush them out and see if they're a good fit for the team. Uh, every search and rescue team has a shakedown process uh, or what we call a qualifying hike. And um, every team is slightly different in their approach. And, uh, but it's a necessary part of the process for volunteer search and rescue. And do people typically like overpack like crazy? Because I remember we talked about this before. Oh, yeah. You showed me the list of like what you're supposed to carry. Like you'd be bringing like 60 pounds worth of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it's really funny, actually. I mean, the basic rule of thumb is to be prepared for 24 hours. So if you were on a mission and you had to stay unexpectedly overnight or if you're waiting for, you know, uh, you know, a Black Hawk to show up or something like that, uh, you need to be ready for that time. Uh, especially if you're overnight or it's cold out and that type of thing. So generally that weight adds up. <clears throat> so yeah, 24 hours. Well, good luck with the DJ and the hiking and the Red Sox and, and whatever else you're up to. So I'll see you next week then, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, speaking of the DJ thing, um, just another reminder, I don't know who's running that Mount Chakora race with Rockhopper, but um, I'm going to be there spinning some music and, you know, letting letting them use the PA system and all that. So if anybody's in the neighborhood, come on by and say hi. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go visit you. I'm not running. Awesome. I did I did that half marathon a couple of weekends ago and I was like, I'm done with races for a little while. So. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to go lug water up? Well, I may <laughs> do the that. Jim Liberty. I may do that. I, yeah, I, I, I gotta, yeah. I gotta talk to Christina, but um, I'll be there, but I won't be running in the race. So, yeah. I'll, um, and hey, listen, um, it's that time of the year. I do have a tick joke, which is they've been on vacation for a very long time, but they're back. And I have one to drop on you guys. You guys want to hear it or what? So, I, <laughs> I hate your tick jokes, Megan, Cindy. I don't know if you guys have heard any of his tick jokes, but, uh, you know, I guess we, we have to let him do it. I have heard a few. Oh, I do enjoy them. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they say, they they get under your skin. Dun, 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 dun. So here it is. I put a lot of thought into this one. This is like a, the, the tick jokes are coming to a new level of nuance. I think they're like evolving or something. So um, here it is. Ready? What do you call a suicide bomber tick that has Tourette syndrome? I give up. Anybody? A ticking time bomb. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Oh, see, it's complex. It's complex. Sorry. Yeah. It, see, I put a lot of time into that one. We're limiting you to one tick joke a month. So, um, I got a couple of other things here that I've, I've been checking out. So, so this this Gravity Industries company. So I'll link this in the show notes for anyone to check out. But this is the this is the jetpack people that have the uh, that's a jetpack on your back, and then you have a jetpack that like fires off of both of your arms. They've been yeah. putting out some demo tapes. Like typically, you see them. They'll go from like. Um, a small like inflatable aircraft onto an aircraft carrier or whatever over the ocean. But recently they put out some demo videos where they are um, actually flying in up through drainages. So they're covering yeah. like, um, I think something like 
maybe like 2,000 feet of elevation in like no time at all. And they've, they, they, there's a video that I'll include where the person is flying right up a drainage of a mountain. So he just clears it and goes right through. There's no trees, so he can kind of navigate through the drainage. But I would have to imagine that something like that to get to somebody quickly would have applications in search and rescue. But I, I don't really know um, what your it's thoughts complicated. are. It would be pretty cool. Yeah, every case is so different. I mean, just logistically, the the training involved and, you know, location of the gear, that type of thing, it would be very complicated to logistically establish that service for search and rescue. In my, I don't know, in my opinion, just thinking about it reflexively, um, it could come in handy in some cases, I suppose, like um, for reconnaissance or just hasty searches, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And I would think that it would work much better out west where you've got like less trees and you've got more visibility because I'm just imagining like, okay, maybe you could get up the drainage in the whites, but you're still going to be, you know, if the person's not in that drainage area specifically, it's almost going to be useless because then you, it probably comes back to that whole thing around like you don't want to cause more people to have to be rescued and you get mm-hmm. somebody flying up on this thing. But I just thought it was pretty cool that like maybe – you know, if they did pinpoint somebody, it's just another quick way to get get a human on to, to help a person. Yeah. Who knows? It, yeah. It's a budding technology. Yeah. But I'll post the video on our social media for people to check out because it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, Colonel Ninnis said, I mean, it's just the strength and physicality to actually be able to fly one of those things is pretty immense. Um, so it's a very niche type of uh you know modality that i i I still find it hard to believe that it's going to stick and be useful in most circumstances i i don't know maybe i'm just skeptical one of these days stomp you'll be flying in for a rescue like a superhero (laughs) i'd rather fly in one of those cars the jetson car that they have right now holy moly you know george jetson's his date of birth is coming up like he was born on july 31st 2022 really yes interesting yeah you know what else happened in 2022 what soylent green where they went to synthetic foods you remember that old movie no i don't know what you're talking about and it's just interesting that there's all these you know the food shortages and supply line difficulties and things like that yeah i think it's i forget who the actor is in it maybe charlton heston or some a major actor but this movie came out i don't know 50s or 60s and it talks about food shortages and like synthetic foods and things like that and the synthetic food was this like drink called Soylent Green Uh, it's pretty interesting check it out Mm, I'll check it out send me the link I'll put it in the show notes Um, (laughs) next up here Cindy Megan actually I would like your perspective on this there's a video that was sent to me Um, it's an influencer I think she was on TikTok and she's a hiking influencer and she was talking about how she brings not one but two tasers for protection on her hikes. So I was looking at them. I'm like, they're super heavy. And I would think that like, you'd be way better off, like maybe switching out beer spray or something like that. Cause you got to get super close to someone if they're going to mess with you. But what do you guys do on trail to like keep creepers away? Well, I fortunately haven't had to any encounters like that. Um, I don't <laughs> actually carry anything. Um, I used to take karate when I was yeah. a kid. So I just, you know, Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll come back in a moment's notice when I need yeah. it. Do you hike solo at all or do you go with people? 
Um, I've hiked solo about a half dozen times now, yeah. trying to do that a little more frequently. Yeah. Um, but since I do hike solo, my parents get worried. I got one of those in reach devices just so yeah. okay. I can ping them if I don't have service. So gotcha. Yeah, I haven't. Um, yeah. I don't really carry any anything with me either. Um, a taser seems like a lot, but you know, to each their own. I have a whistle on my backpack, um, so there's that. And, oh, you know, yeah. maybe if you're on an incline, you could just push them away yeah. down the hill. Yeah, I feel like I've always, like, my move is the, the hiking oh, poles. Yeah. I feel like if somebody's, like, getting too close to the hiking poles, I'm going to start swinging around or something. But hmm. Yeah, I do have those. You get so. those, too, Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that. I used to think like a small thing of bear spray, but like, I don't know if you guys heard this story, but Stomp had bear spray when we went hiking one time and it blew up on his leg and it caused the whole yeah. situation. So I'm like, uh, I'm afraid of that. I recently heard a story <laughs> about a person who so. their bear spray, spray exploded in their car and they had to like literally drench the car and wash it like internally because the entire car was just a disaster. Yeah so bad hmm. is it did the car got too hot and then it just exploded yeah i don't know i don't really know what happened i was out in montana and so obviously you need bear spray like everywhere you go but i just i don't know what yeah. happened yeah interesting well i think hmm. a taser is a little overkill but i thought it was interesting because i was like i never imagined that because that's another reason why I stomp like you just say hello to people and don't like get up in their business or anything because if they take it the wrong way like <laughs> you could accidentally you. get tased <laughs> by somebody <laughs> so <laughs> right wow but that does not look up. like a comfortable sensation either like holy moly no you're no. immobilized yeah. for a period of time it's incredible yeah. exactly yeah one sounds bad enough but two it's i don't even want to think about it <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. it's like yeah she's like got our philosophy around like a flashlight but for her it's like if you have if you have one taser you have no taser <laughs> i feel like she must have had <laughs> like your headlamp yes thing? like the headlamp something happened maybe yeah i was gonna yeah. say she yeah. must have had a experience theory. for her to have to carry that she's, she's probably on precaution yeah yeah ex exactly exactly so i'll have to dig into that in a little bit more detail but um stomp you got a couple of notes here i don't know if, what you want to you want to talk about somebody is allergic to water i've never heard yeah this. can you believe this yeah this this young woman here is allergic to water and uh, the headline says, I'm allergic to water and my own tears feel like acid. It's a condition called aquagenic urticaria, which is so rare that there are only about 100 cases. And um, so she is 15 years old. She was diagnosed in April after telling doctors that her tears felt like acid. Um, so it's pretty bizarre. She can't drink water. Or her, her GI tract just goes crazy. And what I guess she does for uh, nutrition or water, um, it says something like pomegranate juice and whoa, what else was it here? Just, a, just an, yeah, like electrolyte drinks, that type of thing. Hmm. So it doesn't really go into uh, treatments, but apparently there is some way that they can manage this but can you imagine i mean she couldn't even she can't even go out to walk if it's a rainy day it's so strange i've never heard of that but uh voila there it is very interesting the human body yeah. is an amazing thing 
Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because as hikers, we rely on water so heavily. Like, I just can't imagine. So, yeah, yeah there it is. Yep. Yeah. She will not be hiking on the PCT or the Appalachian Trail anytime soon. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not sure what she'd be able to do for exercise in general. But, anywho, interesting. All right, so um, just moving on, a couple of other updates I have. is Starlink is up and running in Maine. So People have very been exciting. reporting, like, lines of satellites. Has anybody seen these things? Like, so, literally lines of hundreds of satellites. So I haven't been up there. So there's 2,000 satellites for Starlink's network right now. And I haven't okay. been up there when, when you're in the camp. Well, so... If you don't have a campfire, if we shut the campfire down and you look, you can see the satellites going across the sky. You've always been able to see that when, you know, for the last 25, 30 years I've been going up there. But now with Starlink, there's a map that shows you where the position of the satellites are. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. you'll be able to see them go by at night, but I don't know. Yeah. But what yeah. I can tell you is that we mounted it on the roof of the house. And I just couldn't deal with getting it up high above trees. So I'm dealing with like a lot of like um, break in service, but it's like five seconds here, 10 seconds there. And for what my father-in-law is going to use it for, I think it'll be okay. I don't think I can do a show up there or anything, but I can work up there. And it's much better than the Hughes satellite internet connectivity. So I'm super excited to to have it available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'll have to let us know how the service is. Yeah. It's the only option you have in these rural areas, so I don't think it makes sense for if you have broadband, but if you don't have broadband and your options are like DSL versus Starlink, I think it's worth it to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clearly, I need some better service because my service has been weird lately. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like even right now, my, my signal is very off, so hopefully I won't yeah. get ditched again tonight. Knock on wood. Um, And then the other thing, when I was up there, I got a chance to take a look at the Conway Daily Sun, and we've got a catalytic converter thief that has been arrested in Freiburg in North Conway. Yay. Yeah. So they think that this guy was doing um, a number of thefts. So I don't know how far he was going, but a 44-year-old gentleman, I always think of like... I sort of feel like I would feel better about it if it was like a young person that was like starting out and they were like learning their lesson. But somebody that's like already in their 40s that's doing this stuff, they just clearly are just leading the life of a criminal. And, you know, they should lock him up and throw him away for a year or two to hopefully learn his lesson. Mm -hmm. It's funny today. I actually ran into the um, Sean Byrne, I think his name is. He's like the only welder in the region. And I actually talked to him about putting that little plate up on my truck to protect mine. You can have a plate welded underneath to protect him. So I'm thinking we're going to dive in and do that. Yeah, they got this guy on. So the Freiburg police got him on camera and he was going in and then he knew he was on camera and he was like changing his clothes uh, from going into this place to steal them. And then he would change his clothes and put on like a sweatshirt or something to try to avoid them. So they weren't sure it was him at first. They finally figured it out. And then I think he's got like two other accomplices that they were talking about where they're going to go after him. So local guy to the Conway area. Um, hopefully this will slow down and maybe people will start learning a little bit of a lesson here. And I'm hoping they can maybe investigate this guy and figure out where he's selling this stuff and, and really just knock this ring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's so many people doing it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
The other thing that I have before we get into sponsors and coffee talk is um, in North Conway, I just drove down. So there's Route 16, which is the main drag in North Conway. There's also a road that's parallel um, called North-South Road. Along North-South Road, they are finishing up the, uh, the clearing for what they're calling the North Conway Rec Path. And the North mm-hmm. Conway Recreation Path is going to be like a three-mile path that's going to connect the Walmart in, um, in North Conway up to Mount Cranmore. So you'll be able to do like a three-mile bike ride. And along yeah. that path, you'll be able to hit the Green Mountain. Um, there's, I'm trying to remember, there's Green Mountain, and then you can get into Cranmore and hike up there and get up to, um, you know, the, the Hurricane Mountain area or where, wherever you want to go. So there's definitely going to be some connecting points or trails that you can do, but you can also just sort of park all around that area and then get to downtown North Conway on your bike. So it'll be a cool thing for people to do. Yeah, yeah avoid all the traffic too three miles is pretty modest yeah yeah and it's basically like we have in freiburg we have the mountain division trail and what they're doing is just basically putting um paved walking paths along the um, railroad trail or the railroad Mm -hmm. tracks all the way and i'm hoping that in the future they'll be able to connect a walking path from like portland all the way into north conway potentially i don't know how Hmm. much that that they have done but it'll be pretty cool yeah, that's great. Yep. Um, and then I think the only other thing we had here, Snop, is you needed to uh, hand out, we needed to hand out an apology because we screwed up the audio in last week's episode. Yeah, weird. Yeah, like, uh, first I get text saying, oh, there's a ghost in the machine here, like three minutes were missing from uh, the end of the last episode. So I just want to thank the listeners for letting me know. Um you know, Mike and my schedule have been very weird and tight lately. So sorry for the faux pas, but I can't explain it because I listened to the whole thing straight through. So it is sort of weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. We'll try not to screw it up. Sorry. Um, sorry about that. Um, so, so sponsors and coffee talks. Not- yeah, we got a whole bunch. Jennifer Lee Mountain donated five. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Reckless Steve donated five coffees. Stacy Tardiff donated six. And um, she had made comment about Eric Todd Sweet's jacket comment, like, oh, you better bring a jacket, which was actually a really funny moment during that uh, episode. Um, Mountain, no, what is it? Spelled weird. Mountain Beaver? Oh, Mountain Beaver uh, donated five. And she or he or she made a comment about adding more information for out-of-staters, which I think to a point we're doing somewhat with the search and rescue news, but uh, we will keep that in mind. Uh, And someone named Shandy donated 10 coffees. So generous. Thank you, Shandy. Thank you, Shandy. And uh, yes, and Shandy appears to be our first re-listener. Like she's re-listening to all the episodes, which is pretty extraordinary. Awesome. <laughs> Jason H donated five. Uh, Jake and Julie made a $50 donation to the New Hampshire Outdoor Council. Uh, that's super cool. And, um, you know, we appreciate the donations to keep the, the podcast afloat. But um, if you want to donate to the New Hampshire Outdoor Council, they are basically 
the prime source of funds for the volunteer teams if you know teams need grants for gear or to support food for any events that they may be having things like that so new hampshire outdoor council is critical um and that is about it for donations thank you everybody so much um and of course, we want to thank Reckless at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. And last but not least, we do want to give uh, a shout out to EMS. Um, EMS will be on uh, within a number of weeks uh, with special guests talking about all kinds of cool stuff. So just wanted to give, give the listeners a heads up on that. So big developments going on. Yeah, and Stomp, I, I do owe uh, the audience, like, I got to get my act together on the, the gear. Um, so I'll get I'll have stickers, I'll have hats, I'll have t-shirts. I just, I've been slacking. It's been crazy. I apologize. I There was, like, an error. I'll share the whole story once I have everything ready. But um, it, it should, be, should be ready to go soon. <laughs> shame. Shame, shame. <laughs> you set All right, yourself so, up. <laughs> so the show opening here. So welcome to episode 59 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, tonight we are excited to be joined by Megan and Cindy from the Alzheimer's Association. Yay. They have been, yeah, hello. Um, they've been hard at work organizing their annual 48 Peaks fundraising event for the month of June, and they've been partnering with the Hiking Buddies and doing all kinds of stuff. So we're going to learn all about Alzheimer's and the 48 Peaks event and uh, talk a little bit about their hiking background. So this, this event is in the month of June. The teams will come together and climb all 48 of New Hampshire's 4,000 footers to raise funds for Alzheimer's. So it's a great cause. Um, so we'll learn about this event and share some details about how you can help out um, this great organization. So um, very excited to talk to them. And then later in the show, we will have some recent search and rescue news. And then I've got a short history segment on Kearsarge North because I went hiking there a couple of weeks ago and I did a little bit of research. So we'll share that. Awesome. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Very good. Um, so next up here is beer talk. Anybody drinking any beer? Megan, Cindy, are you <laughs> drinking anything tonight? I broke out uh, something from my fridge for this special occasion. It's uh, one of those like little tequila sodas. It's called Mommy oh, Touch. Nice. Oh, nice. Yes, awesome. Ah. So is it like a fizzy soda? Yeah, it's funny. I can actually like hear the bubbles because I have my headphones in, which I've like never noticed before. Oh. And I can like hear them in on the roof of my mouth. It's really funny. But yeah, it's like a, you know, like a white claw, like that type of situation. So yeah, just a tequila. Oh yeah, white claw. Mommy test. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, it's good. Do you two hit the club scene at all, like for DJs and stuff like that? Just curious, uh, because you I look like you're in the out. No. <laughs> out. Really? Oh, okay, okay. Because it's actually really yeah, funny. Yeah, I, I would probably enjoy like that. White Claw seems to be. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. I'm like, I'm like, I stick out like a sore thumb because I'm so ancient. But um, I think White Claw is one of those like EDM drinks. So, like you see that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Anywho, inside baseball. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I went to like a club. It was probably my first job out of school because it was more of a college feel at the time. <laughs> so it's been yeah. a while. <laughs> Are you drinking anything tonight, Cindy? 
Yeah, I uh, just grabbed a white wine out of the fridge. I think it's like a part Chardonnay. I oh, didn't even look at the name. Delicious. But it's nice on a like, <laughs> nice hot day. Yeah, it's actually pretty refreshing. Mm-hmm. I grabbed it right before hopping on because I was like, ah, maybe I want some. Yeah. So I can share. So, yeah. And how about you, Miguel? So I don't know if you guys notice or not, but I'm a little red. And uh, I was out on the water all day, so I went. I did my annual fishing trip with the uh, on the hard merchandise boat, which is one of the Wicked Tuna boats um, out of Gloucester. So I was out there with my oh, brothers, wow. and I took my daughter and one of her friends, and I had a beer. I'm like a one beer a day person, so I had a beer when I was out on the water. And yeah. now that I'm so, like so sunburned, I just have a water to keep me through this. But I forgot to put a hat on, so I'm like fried right here. <laughs> so. Oh, I thought that was the uh, the Starlink uh, dish, but it's just your forehead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh boy, what about I you? just have Something a little, good? yeah, just a little homemade margarita. Yeah, the spur of the moment. I was going to get a beer, but I just ran out of time today. So, oh well. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, recent hike stop? You been anywhere? I have not. Shame, shame, shame. So I plan to get out sometime soon after this crazy weekend, but uh, nothing, nothing on my end. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gone out either. I haven't. I I got high school graduations. I got proms. I got family events. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm going to try to get out on Sunday, maybe take my daughter up to the Belknaps for a little bit of, um, I guess I'm going to do all the peak bagging in the Belknaps. So I might try to grab Gunstock and Belknap Mountain or something like that. Oh, Nice. How about you two, uh, Megan? Anything recently? Or sadly, the last time I went for a hike was January first, <laughs> so it has been a very long time. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I am hoping to get out there soon. I am also running a half marathon, so my weekends have been taken up by running, unfortunately. But oh wow! I my half marathon's on Sunday, and I can't wait to be done so then I can move on. <laughs> nice, that's awesome, Cindy. Anything for you? Sadly, not either. Yeah. Last time I went on a, well, it's between work and school, my weekends and just nights in general are pretty much shot. So yeah. um, the last time I actually went on a hike was back in February. Mm-hmm. I went to Pondicherry. Oh, cool. With my friends. I, I saw yeah. that the first time this winter when I was doing the uh, the snowmobile guiding. It's a beautiful spot. That's one of the destinations. It was like, oh yeah, it's so cool. It's so. It, I I think it's difficult to get there in the winter, so the snowmobile makes it accessible. So how far did you hike in to get there? And how do you get there so in the we, warmer weather? So we drove in by the airport and then parked. Um, there was like an easy access to the rail trail there, so okay. we just um, like I just parked on the road and we walked all the way into the pond. Yeah. And had a beautiful view of the presidentials. I've never been, well, or at least it's been a while since I've been that far north. So I haven't seen the mountains from that angle yeah. before. It's neat. So my my friends were like, are you okay? Like, I was so excited and taking so many pictures. It's mm-hmm. like, it's fine. It's fine. It's beautiful. Yeah, apparently it's so, a yeah. big, um, popular bird uh, viewing spot. So if you're into looking at the birds and I, what's the term for that? Bird watching, or is there a technical term for it? Bird watching. I would say bird watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a technical term to it. I don't know what it is, but um, we'll look it yeah. up. Ornithology. Yeah, something Ornithology. like that. Some, yeah. Yeah. And um, so we've been 
off doing some hikes, but uh, some of the listeners have been doing hikes, and this week there were two notable hikes. So, Mike, I think I'm going to let you do the honors, and actually, maybe the three of you can decide which one to, to pick here. So, well, I have a question for you. I have a question first: Is what what exactly do you need to do to like be a notable hike? I feel like this is an Instagram thing, so I'm not on Instagram. Like, what are the rules again? Like, oh, just tag us. <laughs> <laughs> If if you've done a hike and you tag slash your podcast um, in your picture, then we'll consider you f- for notable hike of the week, and you just get a little prop. And how do you tag somebody on Instagram? Like, is it like you do the at slasher podcast? Like, how does that work? There is a tag. Explain button. this to me, like I'm a boomer here. <laughs> so when you're when you're posting, there is a literally a, a tag button. So you can you press that tag button and it opens up a, sort of a functionality where you just click on the picture and um, you know you can tag people locate you know the at symbol of of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Sorry. So it's super cool. I was confused, so I'm sorry. Yeah, so the first tag we got was uh, hey, two weeks in a row here. Reckless Steve again. Um, he did an overnight on Webster Cliff, and he was doing trail maintenance. And um, I guess he he was talking about a weather inversion that kept him pretty warm at night. And he posted an awesome picture of Carry Out Stout, which you know that's a reckless uh, brew that is near and dear to my heart as well. So that was the first one. Um, thanks for tagging us, Steve. And then the second tag was Full Strength Coffee. This is pretty cool. It was a daughter and dad hike on Mount Chikora. So that's pretty sweet. Thank yeah, you for you know, that Yeah, I did uh, see that tag. one. Yeah, yeah. I did see that one. That's the winner. I like the father and daughter. I'm biased, though. That's my thing. There you go. My daughter. So. Any comments, Cindy, Megan? I also like the father-daughter one. Yeah. And I also, Chikora is beautiful. I love it there. Yeah. So. Sorry, Steve. Bias. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, anything else, Tom, before we go in? We're going to talk about the, the 48 Peaks and Alzheimer's and everything. Do you have awesome. uh, anything before we get into this? No. We are ready to go. All right. Cindy, Megan, you guys ready? Ready. Ready. Let's go. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. All right, all right. So I don't know a lot about Alzheimer's, so I will be asking a bunch of questions. But I think the really the only exposure I have personally to anything to do with, uh, you know, even like, and again, I'll ask you, I'm going to ask you this question, like the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's and like, oh, I don't know if there is a difference, but like uh, the only experience I really have is with my grandfather um, when he was getting to be up in his like late 80s, early 90s, he was clearly like losing his cognitive abilities and he was in veteran housing. And I remember like sort of a, a funny story where he, you know, he was lonely, I think. And the first of the month he would get like his social security checks and, you know, we would come visit him. And one time we visited him like the second of the month or something. And there was like three people in his apartment and um, he had let these these folks in to like help clean his apartment. They were like maids or whatever. So he just got confused and he was like, <laughs> he ended up like just letting them in and, um, 
you know, he eventually like he was like, oh, I have these cleaning ladies that are helping me out. And it turns out that like they just like cleaned him out of every every nickel that he had, like from his Social Security oh. or whatever. Um, so it was kind of crazy. That was our sort of like our signal to be like, you know, we got to start paying a little bit more attention to his cognitive ability. And it was kind of funny because it was like, you know, you just had to know my grandfather. But like, that's about all I know about like you know older people or even like it's not even older people but just people in general sort of losing their cognitive ability so i'm curious like with both of you having sort of knowledge of this area i'm very interested to learn more about it but i guess maybe if we could start off um if you want to megan start sort of give you a little bit of background on your association with alzheimer's and then talk a little bit about hiking and and how you got involved in uh, the 48 peaks event yeah, so I um, I started at the Alzheimer's Association in September, so I'm I'm fairly new. Cindy's a, a member of my committee, and, and she's been involved um, with 48 Peaks a lot longer than I have. Um, but yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. Um, the Alzheimer's Association does a lot. It's it's really impressive, and I'm sure we'll get into everything you know later on. But it's just it's so much more than research. It's you know providing support for families and. Um, you know, making sure people are aware of the signs and all that jazz. And so I've just been blown away, kind of learning a little bit every day um, about what what they what they provide at the association. So, um, but yeah, I've uh, I've been in fundraising my whole professional career. Um, so you know, I, this is my my second job in fundraising, and I just I really like it. You know, it's a great experience to meet people and build relationships and really watch something take off and be very meaningful to people. Um, and honestly, what sold me on this job was the 48 Peaks portion. <laughs> when I was reading the job description and doing some research on this website and like what, you know, the job description was all about, I saw this whole section about 48 Peaks and I was like, well, that's right up my alley. And I love that. So, um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. So it, it's been so cool to see it grow. But yeah, I've, uh, I started my 48 peaks or my 48 4,000 footer journey in 2020, uh, probably when a lot of people had nothing else to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I had always been a hiker. I didn't know anything about the White Mountains. So I was staying a lot more in southern New Hampshire and hiking around there, um, which I loved. And I just assumed 4,000 footers were completely out of my range of ability. Um, and my first 4,000 footer was Jackson Webster, um, that loop, and it was beautiful. And of course, like we all say, you know, you're hooked right from the start. So um, I'm 19 of the 48 uh, in at this point. So I've been dying to get back out. It's it's really killing me. I've, I haven't been there in five months. But um, so yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful experience. I I love meeting hikers. They're such a unique group of people. Um, you know, we see it from the, the group of 48 Peaks participants, too. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's my background. Awesome. And, Cindy, you, can you give a little bit of background with your, your involvement with Alzheimer's and then your, your hiking background as well? Sure. So I've been a volunteer with 48 Peaks and Alzheimer's Association. This is my third year on the volunteer committee, um, and it's my fifth year participating in 48 Peaks. So um, in terms of my relationship with Alzheimer's, my grandma had dementia and passed away in 2010. So it's been almost 12 years since, you know, she passed. Um, I was in middle school when she was, I presume, diagnosed and she passed. um, It was my first semester of college. So 
I didn't really understand probably what was going on at the time. Um, I've heard bits and pieces since, you know, from my mom, since she was a main caregiver along with my uncle for my grandma. So um, that's my connection. And then in terms of hiking, um, I've done 23 of the 48. So (laughs) right around that halfway mark. Good for you. I need to get that 24th. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to get Wombeck back in February, but the trails were just mush. Um, The weekend I was up there, it was like they all melted. Then it was like a torrential downpour and then it snowed. So it was just a hot mess. So crazy winter. I didn't. (laughs) Now, were you more active with hiking in like the, the, the summer and fall? Will you pick it back up again? Yeah, I um, just with school and work, I haven't been able to get up there this spring. Um, Normally, I would try and I have done a couple winter hikes. I haven't been as much into that lately, but I would like to. Awesome. Great. Um, So just general questions about Alzheimer's, Megan. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, Alzheimer's, uh, the history? Like, do you know, like what what some of the potential causes are? And I know, like, I think... I've no, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I've noticed over the last like 20, 30 years, like it's been um, much more of a topic of discussion around identifying like early signs of cognitive uh, decline and dementia. But can you give sort of a rundown on the history of Alzheimer's and um, a little bit about how treatments have changed over the last 30 years? Yeah, yeah. So, like you were saying, like what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? It's definitely a question I think we get a lot. So, Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, um, if that helps answer that. So, and it, it's it's always good to differentiate between like what's a normal part of aging and like what's a little bit more severe. Um, and Alzheimer's is, is more severe. Um, so, uh, and there's, you know, there's people that can develop Alzheimer's um, known as younger onset in their 40s or 50s. Um, so it is definitely a, a growing disease. Um, there's 6 million Americans living with Alzheimer's, which is a really, really high number. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it, the like number one earlier sign is just lack of remembering newly learned information. So that's kind of the first warning sign that people will see among family members or maybe even notice yourself. Um, and then, you know, there, you know, there's a lot more signs over time, like, you know, difficulty driving to familiar places or writing a grocery list, confusing time and place, um, you know, maybe having like spatial or visual awareness issues, um, judging long distance, misplacing things. And then there's also, you know, like people can change in their personality and mood and Alzheimer's and dementia is, is very different for every single person. But some people have more extreme changes in their personality. Um, some people you don't necessarily notice that. Um, but yeah, it really it can, there's, and there's also different types of Alzheimer's and dementia too. So um, it can be it can be a very wide category. Um, so and and it's it's really tough. Um, but yeah, so you know, I, I, the Alzheimer's Association was founded because people were kind of looking for a community to understand what was going on and to find other caregivers who are kind of in this journey together and, uh, you know, start the process of finding a cure. So um, we've got some awesome clinical trials going on, uh, which are very helpful because that's how you can gather information and kind of learn what's going on with people. You know, are these drugs able to help? We've got, um, there's a couple drugs on the market that help with just, you know, they don't, they don't, 
you know, completely get rid of cognitive impairment issues, but they can slow down some of those. Um, so that those drugs are, are pretty helpful. Um, and then, you know, there's actually a woman we can talk about her. Her name is Debbie. She hikes as part of 48 Peaks. Um, she is also living with Alzheimer's and she's um, very, very optimistic. She's told us that she's on a she doesn't know if she's on the placebo or if she's on an actual drug, but she is part of a clinical trial and she feels really good. And um, she's such an optimistic oh. person. So, um, yeah. And do you know, uh, and hmm. we've had our friend Martin on a couple of times to sort of talk about the process of aging. And, you know, he he feels very strongly that um, staying active and exercising and, you know, we talked a little bit about diet. Have they done any research around ties to sort of physical activity and exercise and, and, and prevention as it ties to Alzheimer's? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of research and evidence-based, you know, results. I, I Nobody can obviously say X, Y, and Z is going to eliminate this issue for you. But of course, you know, exercising directly benefits brain cells by increasing blood and oxygen levels. So, you know, that has the cardiovascular benefits, which is, is so much better for you in the long run. Um, so yes, of course, you know, it's just an elevated heart rate. Nobody's telling you to go run a marathon in order to, you know, reduce the risk of dementia. But um, so, and then they, you know, they talk a lot about nutrition as well. So they specifically mention the Mediterranean diet is one of them, which is like fish and healthy fats and oils and, whole grains and fruits and veggies. And so it, it really does have a big impact on um, the way that your brain responds to exercise and nutrition and all that jazz. So, you know, but just like every disease out there, you know, so it's, 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 it's all pointing in the same direction. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then as far as um, I do feel like over the last like 20, 30 years as well, like the stigma of like, I feel like it was very common back in back in, you know, my younger days where you would have this, you know, cognitive decline on elderly people would be a hidden thing that you wouldn't talk about openly. But I do think over the last 20, 30 years, it's been it's much more common. I've even seen like on social media, like there's some people that will like, you know, they'll document their their family members declines over the course of, uh, you know, a certain number of years. So you can really sort of see how things can change you know, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, unfortunately. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about sort of the family support and in, in, in treatment? And I would assume like there's a sort of a, a decision matrix that everybody individually needs to make around, you know, at what point do uh, does independence go away? At what point does it make sense to take care of the person in your family's home versus professional um solutions where you're putting them in a sort of a, 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 a third party location where they've got treatment. Can, can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah. So obviously it's, you know, different from person to person and, and kind of what you just said, the stigma has changed. Um, and there are still a lot of cultures that don't accept, um, you know, Alzheimer's being a part of their life and they just kind of may try to avoid it. And, you know, that's why, we do what we do is to just educate people that there's support out there for them. Um, but in terms of, yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge mental health um, issue with caregivers because, you know, a good chunk of caregivers are family members um, and they might have children of their own. They might be working full time and also caring for a parent or a, a sibling or something like that. Um, so it can be really, really difficult um, to be able to balance all of that. And then also, you know, slowly lose, 
somebody that you've known your whole life. So um, it's certainly very difficult and takes a huge mental toll. So the Alzheimer's Association has a ton of, you know, face-to-face in-person support groups and also virtual that are meant for people living with Alzheimer's, are meant for family members, are meant for grandchildren, and are, you know, they also have a ton for caregivers and managing stress um, because it is really important and there's a lot of depression that can come from that and just stress in general. Um, They estimate that the cost of unpaid care is $321 billion um, in the United States, which is it's just an insane amount of money. So it's, it's definitely tough. Um, but I think, you know, if people can attend those support groups where they can talk to somebody else who gets it and really understands what they're going through, um, I think that's, that's very crucial. Um, yeah. And stop you. I have a, and I don't know this for certain, but I feel like in your line of work, like you're, you're dealing with this in a, a pretty frequent uh, amount yes. of uh, cases, right? Correct. Yeah. As a physical therapist, I mean, in the geriatric population, I'm typically seeing people for uh, deconditioning and, you know, post-fall orthopedic fractures, that type of thing. And it can be really challenging because you have you know in in some cases like you guys said it's it's very diverse and it, the presentation is so wide it's fascinating but if it, you know what i see is a lot of difficulty with people uh learning like the ability to learn something you know you teach somebody something like no you can't use that hand you fractured that hand uh you fell you fractured your hand you cannot use that oh okay two seconds later you know so challenges like that for a therapist or uh Uh, pretty typical interesting yeah and i do and what little i know about and what i've been exposed to it does seem like as uh, people decline into alzheimer's like they do tend to sort of fixate on a past memory and that sort of seems like a lot of times that's like their starting point where they'll go back to sort of the one of these core memories and constantly ask sort of the same questions about like you know where's my checkbook or, or something like that so it's it's yeah. interesting so they they in a lot of cases they tend to hold on to their past memory but it's short-term memory that gets affected is that how it works yeah i've also i've also heard a lot of stories where people will have these like recited scripts where they you know they realize that they have alzheimer's they don't want anyone else to know and so in order for them to kind of play off that they are not dealing with this disease they have this like perfect rehearsed script um, about their day to day and and you right. wouldn't necessarily know right off the bat and that, because that's what they that's what they feel comfortable with so they have this recited pattern um but yeah it is it's really tough yeah yeah interesting well so the so your involvement in in, in Cindy I'd like to sort of switch over to you to talk a little bit about sort of the origin of 48 Peaks. So my understanding is, is that this is a one of, is this like your primary fundraiser event for the year or is this just one of many fundraisers that you do? So 48 Peaks is part of the like overall big fundraising event for the Alzheimer's Association. So it was born out of the longest day, which is where the summer solstice focus came from. So um, 48 Peaks itself actually spun out of the longest day around 2013. So we've actually already almost been around a decade, which is pretty neat. Um, But it was originally the idea of a volunteer with the chapter. Um, It might have been the New Hampshire at the time. 
Megan before the merger, but um, I don't know. But anyway, so it, he was a volunteer who started his own longest day event and he chose hiking as his activity. And you can choose whatever activity you want. It could be like arts and crafts, uh, biking. He happened to choose hiking and he had a vacation home up in the whites and his wife at the time had younger onset um, Alzheimer's. So he got his friends and family involved and started fundraising and each year it grew until eventually it spun out in it, into its own event for our chapter. Hmm. So um, it's pretty neat in, you know, the almost 10 years we've been an like official event, I suppose we've raised over $605,000 wow. for the Alzheimer's association. That's yeah. And this it's, it's incredible. And just like this year alone, we have over 370 hikers across over 60 teams, which uh, five years ago, I never thought we'd get this big. So. Wow. And then what is the actual event? Is it like a, it's across an entire month where you have teams of people that are hiking the 4,000 footers? Yeah. So that's the goal to have one team on each of the 48 peaks. And it can really be at this point, like we encourage hikers to go when they can. So if it's in June, it's great. But in my team's case, we're going in July. You could go in August, um, you know, whenever works for you best. And the slogan is kind of like one team for each peak with the Alzheimer's cause driving it all. So we all wear purple. We paint the mountains purple, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun while, you know, fundraising for a great cause. Awesome. And uh, we've had Ben and Lindsay from the Hiking Buddies on before, but it sounds like this is this year the first year you partnered with them. I know that they did this as one of their sort of primary partnerships. Can you talk a little bit about that collaboration? Sure. Yeah, we're super excited to have them on board this year. Um, this kind of goes back to, I'd say, January. Megan sent like a Facebook message to the Hiking Buddies group and Ben responded and was like, yes, we would love to be involved with 48 Peaks this year. So um, originally they planned on, you know, having about 100 hikers involved and raised $10,000. And they've completely blown that out of the water. So hmm. just as a te- like the hiking buddies themselves have raised $115,000 and they have 250 hikers. So, wow, that's so crazy. Like, I remember yeah. when that group just like sort of started off as like this tiny little group and to see how they've grown, you know, and there was such a demand for like sort of sort of the networking for people to come together with hiking. But I'm, you know, I haven't talked to Ben in a while, but I can imagine that like he probably never thought in his wildest dreams that something like this would, you know, uh, a fundraiser of over $100,000. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, I was actually looking back through like my personal Instagram posts this week and I had a post from last July that we had raised $35,000 as an event. Hmm. So I, I can't even fathom how much we've fundraised with Hiking Buddies help this year. We are so grateful to them and big shout out to Ben for like motivating all of the hikers and Hiking Buddies. Awesome. Also shout out to Megan because Domino Effect like yeah. sending that message. I was really lucky. Yeah. But through through Hiking Buddies we've met some people that have like really deeply been impacted by Alzheimer's and it's so they're super passionate and they you know they combine something and they already love to do with something that's so important to them. So we captured this audience of people that were like this is right up my alley and, and I'm really happy to be able to support you know 
my mom or my my great aunt or anything like that. It's been really cool to read people's stories. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And then with the the participants, are you finding that there's a lot of family members that are looking to sort of take action and they're getting involved in hiking for the first time? How much of this is sort of adding participation with people that haven't got a lot of experience getting outdoors like like we all do? Um, I'd say we have some beginner hikers. Um, Actually, we've had a number of hikers find us through the Instagram account, which has been really great. So we always, I know Megan's been talking a lot with the hikers who reach out just for like tips on what peak to pick, for example. And we always encourage them to pick whatever's within, you know, their abilities. Like if you can't do a 4,000 footer, like that's totally fine. You can pick maybe a 52 with a view. Um, This year we have a team doing Mount Willard. Um, You know, maybe someone would do Mount Pemi another year, Um, you know, in past years, especially with the pandemic we had to encourage people to you know stay low and local so it was a lot of um, very simple flat trails around maybe ponds just in local neighborhoods you know so whatever is work you know fits what you're looking for as a hiker be be it that you're a beginner or maybe more expert awesome and then you do have some people that are that are dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia that are dementia that are participating in these hikes as well. Yeah, like Megan mentioned, um, Debbie, who's on Team Sisu, she was recently diagnosed and she'll be hiking this year with them. And all of her friends have been fundraising um, like crazy and, you know, trying to do it for her because it's, you know, it's hard to receive that diagnosis yeah yeah i can imagine and then any uh, any stories since you've been involved in this any fun stories either on the trail or as part of the uh the 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 fundraising any fun stories that come to mind for you um so i had a neat one probably back in 2020 i was hiking mount garfield with my friend in like the fall for a foliage hike i just happened to be wearing my 48 peak shirt and um this couple stopped to chat with us almost always when i'm wearing the shirt someone asks me what it's about because they think it's you know for the nh48 like list but then it's like well it is but there's an added component that it's fundraising for the alzheimer's association so uh, we got to talking with this couple and they asked you know oh can we donate so i happen to have have this little business card with my team name and the website and everything and so i gave it to them and you know, figured out oh, what, maybe they'll look it up later. It'll, maybe they won't think anything of it. And that night I had like a $20 donation to m- my team. So mm-hmm. that was a pretty neat experience that someone cared enough to talk with us and then gave a donation as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then um, as far as recent n- articles and news, you guys got a little bit of press in, in New Center one of the one of the, I guess one of the main um, papers or or TV stations they did an article on you guys. Yeah, I think they interviewed Ben as well from Hiking Buddies. Okay. There was a video associated with it, and it was really neat just to see Forty Eight Peaks out on. Um, I think they are a TV station. Yeah, I also think they're they're yeah. going to be hiking so, one of the Forty Eight as well um, on June Eleventh with one of the Hiking Buddies teams to get some cool footage and kind of put together like a whole video at the end, which is really awesome we've never had that before um so it's super exciting that's so cool 
Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I have. Um, I do have the article here, so I'll link that in the show notes and and get that out to everybody. So that's very, very exciting. And then I do want to get into some details on how to participate in this. But before we get into that, I want to then go back to Megan. Maybe you can answer some of these questions about just Alzheimer's in general. So um, I'm in human resources and. And I sort of always think through this, and I know that there is a trend around offering some elder care benefits through employers, but it's very sort of a, the early stages. And like um, the you had talked about, like sort of the the expense involved in in, um, in treatment for this, and I wonder, like, is there any discussion within the Alzheimer's Association around trying to influence employers and politicians to try to provide more comprehensive long-term elder care solutions for um, for people like you know if 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 they could do it through their own employer insurance or do some sort of incentive to to give elder care you know make it make it reasonable cost versus the way it is now i haven't heard anything like that i i, I mean i think it's really wise what you're saying i have a friend for example who's grandparents both had Alzheimer's and her parents took every vacation day possible to care for their parents. Um, so they, you know, they just spent all of their time, um, you know, moving them around or doing X, Y, and Z, taking them to doctor's appointments. And so um, I know you're right. And, you know, we work in, in Massachusetts and I know that I can't remember what that was called. There's something we've been paying into for a couple of years <laughs> that is meant to help yeah. with exactly that. Um and I don't know, you know, how, how much that works, but I haven't heard anything like that. But I, I think it's a wise, you know, note. people are going to have to keep balancing work, children, parents, you know, it's just going to be a constant. Um, and if you don't want to lose people. Yeah, Megan. Go ahead, Cindy. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. I was going to say you were telling me it's like the sandwich generation. Yeah, right. Sandwich generation. Right. Yeah. Taking care of kids yeah. and parents. Yeah. And it's just, it's never going to go away. I mean, people are going to continue having to balance this, this care sort of situation. And if you want to retain employees and you need to be flexible with that. Um, yeah. It's just, and with, again, with many other diseases, the same exact situation, but yeah, you do. It's, it's a really good point. Interesting. And then um, does the association offer any sort of cost uh, planning or financial planning? I would assume by the time, you know, you realize what's going on. Like you, I, I know me personally, and probably I'm more proactive about this with some of my family members, but I would assume that like sort of there's a scramble to say like, let's make sure that we get the financial house in order mm -hmm. as soon as possible when you start dealing with this cognitive decline. So can you talk a little bit about what the association does? Yeah, there? I have also heard from a couple of people that maybe started that financial and legal planning journey a little too late and it was very, very stressful. And I think, yes, if, if you can kind of start that, that path. Um, what you can do is connect with the Alzheimer's Association, and they'll they'll really provide you with everything. You know, I I think you have the the helpline number is, is going to be in the show notes, and that's a twenty four seven thing. Yep. You can call about any question under the sun. If you're you know awake at two a.m. stressed out and you want to talk to somebody, that's what they're there for. If you need help on finding a financial planner, that's what they're there for. But they do offer services. They've got um, educational programs that you can attend where you can learn about tips to. Uh, manager money um, that's also available for care uh, for those living with early stage Alzheimer's as well they can kind of learn about that as well so um, yeah I think the financial and legal planning is an area where people are can be very confused as to what next steps to take so definitely um, alz.org that will just you know show you the right direction to go in and you can find all of that information and, and connect with somebody who can really help because they're experts in that field for sure 
Okay. Great. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about how you can participate in um, 48 Peaks in a minute. But I did want to pivot and stomp. Maybe you can you can definitely chime in on this, but it's a semi-regular occurrence. And I have a feeling that a lot of times sort of these events become sort of the the trigger moment where people realize like, you know, my, my family member is really struggling and we need to make a change, but like, it's, it's not uncommon at all for us to see two, three of these sort of news stories in the New Hampshire fishing game where you've got um, either elderly or not even that elderly, like, but people that have cognitive decline issues, Alzheimer's dementia, like wandering off and they've got to execute a search and rescue um, stomp. I know you, it's pretty common at this point. Like I see, I see that happen quite a bit. Um, do you, as far as search and rescue goes, I'm assuming you've been on a couple of those search missions in the, in the past, right? Correct. Yes, I have. It's, um, pretty frightening when that happens, you know, just having an elder out there roaming around, it's uh, all hands on deck, really. Um, they involve multiple resources, whether it be state police, local police, um, volunteer teams, canines. I mean, everybody gets involved to, to participate in these events. And um, but you're right, Mike. It's it it is that moment where you start to wonder. Okay, this is not a safe situation for this individual. So what has to be done now? Uh, especially if it's a repeat offender, which can happen as well. So it gets very complicated. Um, yeah. And it's one yeah. of those life problems where, and I'm making Cindy, I don't know if you have a perspective on this, but it's like when when you make the decision to take away some level of independence from somebody that's been living their life the way they've been living their life forever, you know, there's a, there's all kinds of history within families on why that may not be the best approach. But regardless, like how do you, how do you manage that discussion without getting to the point where a search and rescue is needed like a what point do you start raising the red flag to say like we need to make a change we got to take the car keys away or we've got to you know put some controls in so that somebody's supervising you at, at home um i actually know my uh, my great aunt's going through this right now so she's my grandma's uh last sibling who's currently alive and uh she's started going into uh, having dementia as well so um, she's, I think, starting not to be able to find her way home. Sometimes she couldn't find her car keys recently. And my mom's cousin lives uh, nearby. So she's been trying to talk with her about, you know, maybe it's time you have to hang up the car keys, like maybe give up the license. And it, it's a very difficult discussion. Um, it's even harder when, from what my mom has said, the stage she's in is a little more harsh, like, not aggressive per se, but like you really don't want to have it. Like, and she also doesn't remember that they've had these conversations. So it's very difficult. And, you know, for a, a little while she had lost the car keys and my mom's cousin was kind of like, well, maybe she won't find them. You know, yeah. it's one of those hard things where it's like, you want them to have the independence, but they're reaching that point where they can't take care of themselves. And it's really heartbreaking. Um, I'm sure my mom had to deal with that with my grandma as well. I think with my grandma, it was a, it was a different situation though, because, um, she had a car, but I think my uncle and my mom told her something like, if you want to renew your license, you'd have to retake a test. And she just said, no, I don't want to do that. So it was a little white lie, but it was, you know, in the end she said, okay, and let the license expire. So 
I, it really depends on the family. And like those two examples, one just kind of went by, you know, kind of went away on its own. The other, I don't know what's going to happen with my great aunt at this point. Unfortunately, it, it might take, you know, someone getting lost before it's like, okay, this something needs to be done, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, there's no good answers, but I do think that like the, there's always that voice in the back of everybody's head thinking like, okay, this, this is not a safe situation. I think it's much like me and Stomp talk about when it comes to search and rescue, like you, you have to learn over time what that line is and don't walk past it. And I think it's the same way when it comes to these discussions with, you know, I think you want to err on the side of caution versus letting things go until there's sort of a tragedy, but, um, it's tough, you know. You can't, you can't always catch them and, and stomp. You guys are always out there. It seems like helping out to to find these folks when they do get lost. Yeah, it's it's really tough, especially for the families that really can't afford to do something or have a placement. You know, it's it's just heartbreaking. It's so common out there. You know, families just stretched to the absolute limit. You know. Um, so Megan, how do we participate in the the forty eight peaks? What's uh, what are some of the options? Can we still can you still have a team and can you still fundraise? What's what's going? Yeah, on? and and you guys, you know, we'd love for you to join us, and, and we'll make sure you guys get some nice forty eight peaks swag. Um, and we'd All love right. for you guys to to hit up one of the forty eight and join us there. Um, so yeah, you we you know like Cindy said, we do have a lot of people that hike in June, um, but we also recognize that you know there still could be snow. We all know there is a plethora of bugs, and so if you want to hike in July, I don't blame you um, <laughs> or August. So yeah, and, and you know we're going to continue to grow as an event. So maybe a year from now we'll be talking about fall hiking as well. Who knows? Um, or even in the winter, but. Yes, so the website is alz.org slash 48peaks, um, and you can sign your team up right on that website. Um, there are a couple open spots on the Hiking Buddies page, and so, you know, you can definitely head over to their Facebook group and kind of inquire uh, there about joining some of those open teams if you'd like to just join a team, but if you want to form a team, um, whether that means you hike by yourself, whether it means you grab some friends and family to join you, definitely still plenty of room for people to participate um there's no fundraising minimum uh you know we obviously encourage fundraising but nobody's going to be charged <laughs> or anything like that you know it's it's a lot about just raising mm-hmm. awareness and raising funds if, if you can um and being a part of this yeah. this exciting event because you know as, as depressing as this conversation's been <laughs> you know we do this so one day we can hopefully find a cure uh, and the hope is kind of what drives us all forward it hasn't really been depressing. It's education, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's truth, and it's just yeah. educating people. I mean, if we can continue to post, you know, just on our story and just here and there, we will certainly do that too to spread the word. Yeah, that's so super glad helpful. to help in that respect. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, you bet. I I will say, stomp like some like I've noticed over the last year or two. Like I'll forget certain. Like I'll write down like okay. I'm going to write down like these two or three things for the grocery list. And then I walk away and I'm like trying to remember what I wrote down right away. So I think like you just keep an eye on me over the next couple of years. Right. (laughs) Right. Sometimes it does take a friend or a family member being like, hmm, what's going on? So, yeah, it's always good to have people that have your back. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's so sad. Like, it's just like a... I, I can, and again, I don't have a lot of specific experience, but just the idea of somebody being there with you, but not really with you, and then getting glimpses of of who they were before, you know, it must be a, a very, a, like, heartbreaking sort of uh, thing. So yeah, definitely. It's a tough Our thoughts are with all the family members, and um, like you said, we will link in the show notes the um, the direct link to the 48 Peaks event. We'll put in the Facebook group. We'll put in the Instagram, and we'll include the 24-7 helpline and um, all the your information, Megan, email and, and, and contact info as well. Yeah, and we have um, one participant shared us shared with us this really cool photo of her grandmother on the top of Mount Washington in 1920. Um, she had hiked in 1920, and she did have Alzheimer's and passed from complications of Alzheimer's, but um, super cool. So she's, you know, hiking in her honor. She loves to hike, and she's got this great connection with her grandmother who's you know, up there in crazy clothing, no backpacks. Like, it's just it's such a different time. It was such a cool photo. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to post about that at some point on Instagram. I got to pull those stories together. Wow, that's neat. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? We're going to talk about a little bit of history here, you guys. Have you either one of you ever hiked um, Kearsarge North before? Is that the one that you just no. talked about? And one of the episodes I listened to, I think. The one with the fire tower is pretty bald on the top. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's right in like um, it's off a of Hurricane Mountain Road, like right near North in North Conway. Mm, yeah, yeah. My friends and I were just discussing if we want to hike that in July when we go up for Forty Eight Peaks. Yeah, amazing, so, amazing yeah. peak. So I was doing That's like a, I was doing like a little bit of research on it because I picked up this weird thing where it's. So the village of Conway, and again, like, I don't know if you guys listen to all the shows, but like, I'm like a Freiburg Conway person, and then Stomp is like a Lincoln, like, <laughs> no, Woodstock person. Don't, don't say Lincoln. No, I'm like, well, whatever. But like, you know what I mean? The like, you're the, you're, so well, the way to put it is like, you're the 93 person, and I'm yes, the Route 16 person. If you, yes, if you, you know, that's sort of how um, I think we, we do it. So the pond that my father-in-law lives on is called Pequocket Pond. And if you're in that like Conway area there, you'll hear there's like a bunch of different Pequocket lakes and Pequocket whatevers. And the reason why you'll you'll hear that word come up a lot is that the village of Conway was originally called Pequocket Villa or Pequocket whatever in the language of the, what is it? What's the local Native American stomp? The Algonquin? Abenaki. Abenaki. Abenaki, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, so Kearsarge North was originally named Pigwocket. So it was spelled differently. So over the, over the, you know, in the 1800s, you had these different spellings. Like the current spelling of Pequocket is P-E-Q-U, whatever, W-K-T. But the, the name that was originally given to Kearsarge North is Pigwocket, P-I-G-W-A-K-K-E-T, which is likely just a version of Pequocket. Um, and again, Pequocket was the name of the Native American village that existed in the Conway-Freiburg area in western Maine and New Hampshire. And like I said, there's a bunch of different Pequockets around. Uh, but K 
Kearsarge North was like one of the first naming controversies that I could find locally that going back into the sort of the um, the late 1800s. So when you look at the early maps, and this one was made by uh, Jeremy Belknap in 1791, he had named the mountain Kearsarge, which is not spelled correctly. It's like K-Y-A-R-S-A-R-G-E. Um, and they think that that name came from a Pequawket Indian named Sabatis. So this this Indian Sabatis lived around like Long Lake and Sebago. And for whatever reason, like he named the mountain Kearsarge. But if somehow there was this other mountain down in Warren, New Hampshire, in southern New Hampshire that got named Kearsarge as well. So there was like confusion. Yes, the one in the south is the one I've hiked. Not that. So that's the one <laughs> yeah. in the south. Yeah, exactly. So that makes yeah, sense. So bunch. the Kearsarge Mountain in Warren, New Hampshire also has a fire tower on it. So. Yeah, they both have fire towers, which makes it more confusing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the late 1800s, this is like probably one of the first naming controversies in the White Mountains. And there was a battle between whether they were going to call the mountain Pequawket. I guess Martha was the other one that sort of got thrown out there and then Kearsarge. But eventually, essentially, it was between Pequawket and Kearsarge. Um, the name Pequawket got approved by the um, the Board of Geographic Names. Um, or whatever the equivalent is back then, uh, but the town's folks basically protested, and they continued to reference it as Kearsarge until like 1959, when eventually, like because they wouldn't accept Pequawket, the compromise was made, and the Board of Geographic Names settled on Kearsarge North. But when you look at the board entry for Kearsarge North, there's like 16 or 18 different versions of Pequawket, Kearsarge and then Martha and then there's one other weird name on there. So this thing has been named like so much, but the townsfolks basically just said like we're gonna we we own Kearsarge and it's not gonna change. So I thought that was kind of interesting, Stomp. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> That's crazy. And I was looking up a side note here. I think it's Pakauket. <laughs> just for all the Abenaki speakers out there. What is it? Pakauket. Yeah. Pacau. So the 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 center of the word is like an owl, like owl, like pacau, cow cat, something along those lines. We'll have to refer back to our Abenaki, Abenaki episode. <laughs> yeah, but I found it interesting because either way, this is a, and maybe I'm missing something about Kearsarge, but I think depending on the stories that I read, either way, whether you call it Pequawket or Kearsarge, it seems like it is a, a sort of a a Native American origin name because if yeah. if the story of Sabatis using it, calling it as Kearsarge, you know that's either either way. I guess the Native Americans went out on this one. <laughs> All right, so that is our history segment stomp. So we've got a bunch of search and rescue stuff here. Yeah, we sure do. It's finally getting pretty busy. So there's national stuff and local. Um, do you want to just touch upon a couple of the national ones? There are yeah, a couple yeah, of really interesting stories. Yeah, I can I can bang out these national ones here. So um, backpack on top of Hawaii Lighthouse Trail belongs to a hiker who vanished. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So after three days of searching, the Honolulu Fire Department ended the search for the missing hiker on Wednesday, May 11th. Uh, backpack found on a lighthouse. Uh, the Honolulu Fire Department received a 911 call on Sunday, May 8th, to help with a missing hiker near the Makapu Lighthouse in Waimanola. And 19 people were activated to rescue this 23-year-old hiker. Um, when the officials arrived, they found only a backpack at the top of the trail belonging to a hiker. The man's car was also found in a nearby parking lot. Um, they identified the missing man, and I guess he was last heard on Friday, May 6th. And the mother says that he visits the lighthouse trail often, and they found his laptop, an empty water bottle, and keys in his backpack. Hmm. So they activated helicopter rescue, and they scoured the area. They've done multiple searches, and um, no sign of this guy. So I think last I read that he was still missing. Is that right, Tom? I'm not sure. As a matter of fact. Yeah, I think he's yeah. still missing. So we'll keep an eye on this one and see if they can find him. But this could be either a really bad situation or it could be aliens. Oh. It's always a possibility. Yeah. Always Sorry, aliens. Always aliens. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on this one. But that's that's a sad story. Um, the next one is a, a hiker death and this is, oh, of course it's not coming up on me. Sorry about this. So this hiker was um, text, texted their mother and said, wish me luck before a trip. And unfortunately, it was found deceased at the base of a waterfall. So another waterfall mm. um, slips. So this is a man that had been found deceased in San Bernardino National Forest. Um, he was discovered last Sunday by a rescue team at the base of the Big Falls waterfall uh, in the area. Um I guess authorities found out he disappeared a day prior when they received a call from his family that he didn't return. Um, the man's family said he was an experienced hiker but never hiked this particular peak. And, um, you know, I guess they got a notification from another hiker who had indicated that they had heard somebody calling for assistance, but they weren't able to locate them. So fire department was deployed right. and they were able to, uh, to locate his body, 33 year old gentleman. So sad story. And they don't really know exactly what happened other than that. They estimate that he fell about 80 feet, um, down the waterfall. So oh, it's awful. Not good. Yeah. Any any fun story, Stomp, or is this all depressing? Well, yeah, you skipped right over the flip flop story. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll get I would have I would have started with that one. <laughs> all right, I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I'm curious about that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was like a weird highlight, so I didn't know if I was supposed to skip over that. So I'll get to it. But here's <laughs> this is one I can this relate is a fun to being one. in Florida. Yeah, yeah stunt exactly. hiker turns to see large alligator climbing the fence behind her in Florida. So alligators, there's a picture of this and I'll post <laughs> this on the Facebook the page, but this is insane. So an alligator's like yeah. climbing right over this like four foot fence. Yeah, like I'm coming after you. Like, uh, it's so weird. Yeah, and again, hiking... When they're in, hungry, like, they're hungry, right? <laughs> yeah, and hiking in Florida is like a nightmare. I I've tried it. Like, I know people do the Florida Trail and all this stuff, but it's just a total nightmare. And then this is like, 
even you think like you're safe with a fence, but this thing just climbed over this four foot fence. So this lady is accustomed to living with alligators, I guess. And even she was freaked out about it. And she turned to see like this big giant alligator climbing over a fence towards her. She was able to videotape it, um, but she <laughs> oh, was like, both afraid and awestruck. Yeah. Well, yeah. So think it's about eight it. foot alligator. Yeah. They're climbing. Animals are climbing fences. And we have bears up here opening doors of cars and Is like this There's aliens something again going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. <laughs> I don't know. But, you never know. <laughs> but it took 20 seconds for this thing to clear a fence, and then it just fell down nose first into the bushes. Um, so then they didn't even know where it went. But I will uh, link the video and it will probably post this on um, on Facebook as well. But that's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, that's why I live in New England. I don't want to be near alligators. Yeah. <laughs> I always had that fear in the summer. Like I do know that there's hobbyists that like will raise these exotic animals, and I'm always afraid that like someone's going to let an alligator loose in like Sebago or something. <laughs> It'll survive the summer. Jeez. Oh, yeah. um, oh right, wow! Thing, you know what's this? Which one are you going to do, Mike? Because I'm just I was gonna looking do the flip flops. Oh, go for it. Okay. So, lost hiker found injured, shirtless, and wearing flip-flops by New Mexico road, cops say. So, um, 23-year-old hiker who was not dressed for the weather got separated from his party while hiking hiking the La Luz Trail, uh, according to the Albuquerque Police Department. Ranger was on his way to find him when he noticed some movement in the brush on the side of a forest road. And he pulled over and found this hiker who was visibly distraught and limping. So he was shortless, flip-flops. Um, he had a makeshift bandage around his knee, which was being held on with a keychain lanyard. Um, and the, the hiker said to police that he had fell after getting separated from his friends on the trail. And rangers were able to get him to the side of the road. And the rescue was immediately um, initiated. So yeah. it did not say what day that this person was rescued, but sounds like he had a hell of an adventure. Yeah, he was prepared, right? Not with <laughs> those flip flops. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, I love flip flops. I haven't right. seen a flip flop. A few more. Yet. Do you want me to do them, or you want me to hold for uh, let next show on any more of these? Well, let's just tackle one more about this illegal guide thing because this is fascinating. The video is no longer available on the story, but apparently what happened was a hiker went out on a trip with a guide. The hiker died and come to find out the guide was not a legally recognized or certified guide. That's pretty intense when you think about it. And it just um, gets you thinking about, so what is required to be a guide and this and that, um, which I don't entirely know the answer. I know a lot of the guides around here. Um, I, there is some level of proficiency with fish and game to be certain guides. Um, you, know, you have certain outfits that um, I, I would love to talk to them. We should probably get them in at some point and talk about what it takes to be a guide. Does it does it require just certifications for, say, wilderness first responder, or do you have to legally be a certified to guide? I'm just very curious about this story. Yeah, I have no idea. I would assume you'd have to have insurance, and, and oh, yeah. assuming that like some, maybe some states require that you have um, certification. I don't really know. Yeah, it's a good question, but uh, it's a, very fascinating question. So stay tuned. 
Okay, well, let's go local here, Stomp. Yeah. So we had um, so rescue season has been kicking off. The good news is is that our friend George will be happy to know that like three of seven rescues involve people that had a hike safe card. So you can buy a hike safe card on hikesafe.org, I think. I'll put a link to it, but good um, ratio. you definitely want to do that. What's that, Stomp? Good ratio. We also we add that to our uh, to our forty eight peaks emails, just so you guys know. <laughs> oh, just a reminder. Have yeah, everyone, yeah. Everyone purchased. You know, now that we've yeah. got three hundred and fifty yeah. people out in the White Mountains, you know, we don't want to be the news of a search and rescue. So, you know, buy your high safe yes, card. Exactly. <laughs> True. Yeah, and if you ever do have a rescue, tell them like to um, throw on like a long sleeve shirt over the. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we don't know you. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thing, you know, stuff happens. A lot of this stuff is just sort of like twisting an ankle, and there's not much you can do about it here. But um, so, stomp. This is a good example. Is there was a um, a hiker that was up on Smarts Mountain. Um, so Smarts Mountain is in sort of the the western part of the state, and the Appalachian Trail goes right over the peak. It's actually a really cool mountain. It's got like a little, it's got a, like a tall, skinny fire tower that you can go inside of. And then it's got a little cabin on top. And then it also has a privy that is like an open privy. So you can do your business like, oh, like open to like, a, it's kind of weird. Like it's like, it's yeah, like box the thing in, but it's like an open privy where, you know, you just do your thing. But it's a, it's a pretty cool mountaintop. I think a lot of through hikers sort of settle there for the night. Um, but this person, I don't think a lot of through hikers are going through, but on Thursday, May 5th, around 1.40, Fishing Game was notified of an injured hiker near the summit of Smarts Mountain in Lyme, and um, they responded with the Hanover Fire Department, Lyme Fire and Rescue, and um, some, I guess, some groups from Vermont as well. So they had a team of volunteers from Upper Valley Wilderness Response as well. 62-year-old gentleman from Massachusetts was descending the Lambert Ridge Trail, which is a beautiful trail if you're going, especially in the fall. Lambert Ridge Trail, he fell and sustained a serious injury due to the nature of his injuries, the distance from the nearest trailhead, because you are pretty far away. Um, they determined that a helicopter extraction would be the best course of action. So they got a National Guard helicopter deployed to attempt an airlift with um, about 20 volunteers and fire department personnel that had hiked to the trail in, in case that the airlift wasn't possible. They were able to extract him and take him to Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical for, for care. So I've done that section of the AT with my friend Tom, and I think you're talking like three, four miles in at least if he's up in that Lambert Ridge Trail um, area. Mm-hmm. So pretty much better off to um, to helicopter him out. And he did have a hike safe card. So uh, Fishing Game reminds people to always be prepared and plan for the unexpected and to check out hikesafe.com for more information. Yeah. So good for him. Hmm. The next one here, Snomp, I think you probably have some comments. So this just goes back to May May 15th. So this is like over the over the weekend, there was like multiple rescues in the white. So there's a 73-year-old male hiker on the summit of Mount Cube who had a medical emergency. Um, so conservation officers in Upper Valley Wilderness Response responded. They were about 2.5 miles on the Cross Rivendale Trail. So Cube Mountain... We just talked about Smarts Mountain. 
Cube Mountain is the mountain that is north of Smart. So when you go through the Hanover sort of Dartmouth region on the Appalachian Trail, you transition from the Dartmouth Skiway, you start taking the AT through Smarts Mountain, and then that leads you up into Mount Cube, which is a beautiful peak um, that that I'd highly recommend anybody that hasn't been there to check it out. Uh, but this guy, again, two and a half miles up the Cross Rivendale Trail, um, rescuers were climbing towards the hiker's location, and I guess they attempted to get a helicopter out to him, and they were able to get the crew assembled and the flight crew around 2.35. They were able to arrive with the um, the distressed hiker, and then you know they got him out, and he was hoisted out with a jungle penetrator, and the Black Hawk took him to Dartmouth Medical. So it was, again, a 73-year-old gentleman from New Hampshire. And, um, you know, I guess he was well-prepared and um, just had this medical incident. So they were able to get him out. And then at the same time that all this stuff's going on in Mount Cube, there were two more calls for injured hikers on the same day. And I think two separate reports of hikers on the bridal path reported that they had suffered lower leg injuries uh, that was preventing them from continuing. On the heels of another old bridal path the day before. So, you know, um, old bridal seems to be a very uh, popular <laughs> trail at the moment for uh, slips and falls and all kinds of things at the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was a, um, I guess, a a 28-year-old male hiker from New York and then a 34-year-old female hiker from New Hampshire, two separate incidents that you guys were dealing with. Um, So I think all of this stuff sort of started late in the afternoon, early evening, and then went up until sort of the middle of the night. So it was two separate rescues, I think, on Old Bridal or around that area that... um, you know, one of them was, I guess, near the Greenleaf Hut, but um, steady rain all night, and I think that the it sounds like everything got cleared out within, you know, a couple of hours, probably six hours or so, but I don't know, Stomp, if you want to add anything to this. Yeah, um, I mean, just for the listeners, the trails right now are really interesting. Um, the ice and snow that is left on trail, particularly on um, Old Bridal um, is pretty significant, and that's where a lot of hikers are running into trouble. Um, You know, one of these cases, I believe, was just a random injury that just came out of the blue. The other was uh, a lower leg injury. And, um, you know, the turn, I, I just have to say the turnout for the volunteers has been incredible. There were probably 30, 35 people on trail for these two rescues on the 14th um, and an additional dozen or so for the night before um, for an individual that was on old bridal that ultimately walked out after an injury too. So, um, you know, just be really careful out there because when you start getting near tree line, the conditions are still pretty sketchy. So you just got to watch yourself. But I have to comment about the weather too. The there was an attempted Blackhawk extraction um, of the individual at the hut, but the weather was so fierce that they could not get anywhere near Franconia Notch. And um, boy, I don't know if you guys have hiked 
in that type of weather, but it was pretty much nonstop thunder and lightning from say Forish all the way up until the hut and then then some on the way down. So it was pretty wild. Um you know, you, I guess you gotta do what you gotta do, but hiking in those conditions is pretty spooky. At least for somebody with a titanium hip. <laughs> yeah. Did your rain gear hold up or were you just drenched the whole time? Um rain gear held up really well. My boots were perfect. My pants were soaked. Um you know, my jacket was fine, but you know, the good thing was, here's the other weird thing. It's like 85 degrees out at the start of the rescues. And then the rain was so intense. This front that moved in, it dropped maybe 20, 25 degrees. So it was in the sixties. And in, in one sense, it was refreshing. Um, you know, we were not shivering by any means like that. And, um, I also props to the AMC. They, um, you know, they gave everybody like, you know, spaghetti and coffee at the hut and stuff. And we were getting things ready to roll. So that was really cool. AMC. Thank you. Um, so anyway, yeah. Um, tis the season, I suppose, but, uh, just be really careful out there people. Cause the, the trails are not, um, a hundred percent dry. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, rescues will be ramping up for sure. So we had another one on, um, that came through on the media report. So this one was pretty straightforward, but a 71-year-old uh, hiker from Florida was hiking um, Hedgehog Mountain. So Hedgehog is on the 52 with a view, great mountain, has these like really cool ledges that look right out over Passa Conway and um, Whiteface, um, and it's a beautiful area there. There's even some lower, like that's actually a good hike to go because there's like these lower ledges that you can go and get a good view of the 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 kank highway area and all that but um 71 year old hiker was hiking on friday around 5 30 uh fishing game got a call so what happened is is that she was hiking with her sister the problem with hedgehog in that area is that if you don't have like an in reach or something like there's absolutely no cell connection in the in the middle of the kank like that so you're really on your own and there's no I don't even know, even if you go up on the ledges, whether you get connection or you may just be offline the whole time. But, you know, she was in distress and it was a heat heat issue. So, you know, we talked about this before, how we went right in the summer. She was unable to hike and there was another group of hikers that made their way. So they, they came upon her and her sister this lady was suffering from heat stroke or something, and there was no cell service. These other hikers didn't have an in-reach or any any way to get communication out, so they made their way back to their vehicle, drove 20 minutes until they got cell reception. Because really, you don't get cell reception until you get to the you get to 16 and you make your way into Conway. Like there's nothing. Um, it's such a dead area that they got to put a cell phone to a cell tower somewhere in the kink. But they were able to call 911 conservation officers and members of the lakes region search and rescue responded eventually other hikers in the area were able to help out and they were able to provide fluids and this person was able to recover and hike out on their own with minimal assistance so i think fishing game and and the search and rescue teams got there and found out that she was able to get herself out so she just needed a little water oh good but it is like that whole area there like from chantney falls hedgehog all of those trailheads that are on the um, the kank, like that is just a dead area there. So you have to have an in reach or something to communicate if you're going to be in that area. Mm-hmm. I'll have to remember that I haven't hiked over there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very much. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just because of that sort of, you know, that notch that goes through the kink. It's just, there's no cell connection anywhere. Um, so the next one here, Stomp, is on South Moat Mountain. So this goes back to May 6th. Around 2.30, uh, fishing game responded to a call for a 58-year-old female from Massachusetts and her hiking companion. Um, we're going up South Moat. Great hike. Um, you can access South Moat Mountain from, it's in the North Conway area, past the Conway Road. Trailhead is sort of right before the Albany Covered Bridge, right before you actually get on the kink. And um, these folks were hiking. They were, um, I guess they reached the summit. They were coming back down the trail when, and this can happen because that section of the trail is a, um, it's sort of like loose rock. So I can imagine why they slept. Uh, Ankle injury. She was unable to hike down. So 911 was called. Fishing game was activated with Lakes Region and some medical students from Solo. So the Solo um, students got some action here mm-hmm. um, and they were able to get this person on a litter and get her down the trail so 2.30 the call went in and pretty far up the trail so she was about carried about 2 miles and arrived at the trailhead around 7.30 so this person was an avid hiker who frequently hikes the mountains in New Hampshire and they were well prepared and she also had a hike safe card good Yep. Seems so like good to go. people are starting to really purchase those. Yeah, yeah, they are. And it's uh, that's good news that the solo class was going on. They were able to um to help out. Yeah. All right. Next one here. A lot going on, Stump. We got we didn't get we didn't get to any of these the last two or three weeks of so catching up. So this next one's on Monadnock. <laughs> We've talked place. about Monadnock before. Um I I love Monadnock. Highly recommend it. <laughs> Stay away from like White Dot, White Cross, go go up Spellman, do these other trails. But um, this gentleman, 82 years old from Massachusetts, lost consciousness and hit his head while hiking with his wife oh boy. on the old Halfway House Trail at approximately 1245. So Good Samaritan stopped and helped them out. Um, huh. you know, I guess they activated um, ambulance services and they were like 0.2 miles from this old toll road so they were able to get to him and improve his condition to the point where he was able to walk out with assistance uh, to an ambulance so 12:45, the call came in he was able to get transported around four o'clock so hmm. luckily there was three good samaritans that called for help and they were able to help out right away which is good mm-hmm. yeah that's my goal this summer is to get down to Monadnock and check it out yeah, well, I'll take you down there. I'll take you up. We'll, yeah, we'll you should, because I'm clueless. Adventure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen sure. it. I've seen it from the highway. I'm, I think looking at it, going, boy, that's small. I mean, it looks pretty cool, but it's just such a little monster for the height. You know? Oh my God, it is so hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah the only trails I've done are yeah, White Dot and White like, Cross. You, so I do need to. If you can do out. those, you can make a four thousand footer because those are very hard trails. Yeah. yeah. Straight up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my aunt and uncle actually did uh, White Dot and White Cross. Granted, like, my uncle was in the 60s at the time and had replaced his knees. Like, if he had talked to me beforehand, I probably would have said, you probably shouldn't hike this. Um, he And I think it was like a Thanksgiving dinner story. And they were like, I can't believe we did that. It was so hard. There were all these. We thought we were there. It was a false summit. And then 
They were like, it was so hard. And I was just sitting there thinking, I don't know if you should have hiked that, but glad you got a good view. Yeah. Isn't it the- Yeah. And for me, it's like, I, I love those trails, but my beef with them is just the crowds. Yeah. Um, it's the most popular mountain, right? And all, like I, it is, it yeah. is. Um, but I like, I'm a per- personally, if people are listening and they want my advice, Spellman Trail is the way to go up. It's harder, but like you said, like if you can do that, like you, it's the equivalent of a 4,000 footer, no doubt. Like it's it's challenging, but it's a fun trail. You're not going to see a lot of crowds. And then, you know, you'll you'll approach it from Pompeii and you're you are going to deal with like three false peaks but it's you're going to be above tree line for a significant amount of time and then yeah come down white cross or white white dot if you want from there but i feel like going up spellman is a better direction just because you're going to avoid the crowds compared to like going up the main trails they also charge for parking now at the main lot maybe they do i feel like i heard about that yeah they do yeah so they put in a reservation system um during COVID, and it's weird because I have the um, I have the New Hampshire like scenic parking pass, which covers you for the five dollar lots when you're parking in the White Mountains. And I've signed up online with Monadnock and used that pass to get sort of basically like a, a dollar parking fee at the Monadnock but the last time I was there the attendant explained to me that like because I didn't reserve ahead of time I showed them like my um my information and she was like oh that that pass doesn't give you credit from Monadnock so I don't really I'll have to look into it or if somebody's listening and they know what the deal is I think you have to buy a dedicated like New Hampshire parks pass to to get the uh the the cheaper parking there hmm did one of you say that that's the most popular mountain around here? Well, I swear I Googled this once, and it was like top mountains to climb it in is. the U.S., like the entire country, and oh. Monadnock was one of them. Yeah. yeah, is it even in the world, too? Yeah, my understanding it's so is... it's so easy to access. Yeah, my understanding yeah. is it's the second most popular, or the second most commonly climbed mountain in the world behind Mount Fuji. That is wild. <laughs> yeah, that's Fuji, yeah. Like of I mean, I've seen pictures that are crazy. Yeah. And that's why I say, yeah, and that's why I say, like, going up that white dot trail is crazy sometimes. Because Although I will say the other thing that I've noticed about Monadnock, and, again, I'm not a night hiker that much, but if you're comfortable, like, dealing with a headlamp and hiking at night, Friday nights are a good time to go on Monadnock because I've gone up there a couple times even in the summertime, like a Friday night leave trail at like four o'clock, because you have like four and a half hours of light. Like, you know, it doesn't get dark until like 8.30. So if you leave at like four o'clock at night, almost everybody else is coming down and you can, you know, you can watch the sunset or you can even like get up there and get down if you're a quick hiker. It's not a bad hike at all because you've got almost five hours of, of light if you start at four. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, rescue on Monadnock, it is. That's the other thing, too, if you go to Monadnock, is you might get involved in being a good Samaritan with a rescue. um, (laughs) High odds. Yeah, but it's not the last one I have here. So this is a sad story. Uh, In Maine, a Lewiston woman um, has died after falling about 30 feet down a waterfall um, in Franklin County. This happened on, I think, May 9th. Um, 29-year-old female was with friends at Smalls Falls in Township E, which is up way far north. Um, She and a friend were in a pool above the falls 
when she got close to the edge, stumbled and then fell down. Um, and unfortunately, the friend climbed down to try to rescue her, but couldn't find her in the turbulent water. So it's like a, I took a, I looked at a picture of this falls and it's like, there's three different like cascades. And I think that there's a pool in the middle and it sounds like she sort of fell over that middle pool and then fell down into a, a deeper pool and they weren't able to locate her. So unfortunately, oh, that's um, terrible because the water is so yeah. cold right now. Holy moly. Yeah. And again, there was no cell connection, so he had to, like, he couldn't find her, and then he had to drive to an area with cell reception and call 911, so it's just a sad story. Yeah, that's awful. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. horrendous, but it's like people need to be careful around these waterfalls, and, you know, one slip, it's it's too it's many, good. Too many stories. Yeah. So it's like those stories from the national parks where someone's, like, taking a selfie, and then... Next thing you know, they're gone. And it's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It's horrible. Yeah. All right, but that, that wraps it up for this week. So, um, wow. Cindy, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any last plugs you want to put in for, for 48 Peaks? We're going to put everything in the show notes, but anything else you want to say? Well, thanks for having us. It's been fun. We would love to see you guys and anyone else who wants to join us this summer, you know, in June or July, like we said, anytime you can find us online um, at the website and on Instagram. We're growing it. We're almost at 300 <laughs> followers actually on Instagram. I think we're at 299 oh, and I'm like, come on, where's the one? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we right, really appreciate your help. Come on, listeners. You guys are oh, just, you bet. helping us raise awareness of this event and the, the association in general is huge. So we, I, we're very appreciative and you guys are awesome and been, uh, been listening to as many episodes. So it's so cool to like, you know, be here <laughs> now with you guys. So um, just really <laughs> appreciate cool. it. It's, it's a huge help in, in spreading our mission further. So thank you guys. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.